0: You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. We recently had pianist Lonzo Lucconi as a guest in episode 27. Well, he's back to nerd out with me about music. Carlos and Satch are not here today, so it's just me and Lonzo. Now, even if you're not a musician, you'll still appreciate this conversation. We start out by discussing dissonance in music and its historical development through the music eras, but then we get into some deep philosophical stuff about what music is. It's fascinating. So here we go. Welcome to the Authenticity Show, Music Nerd Edition. I'm Oliver Altine. And Lanzo Lucconi. All right. Hey, Lanzo. How you doing?
1: Good, good. What's going on, man?
0: Interesting being here without Carlos and Satch,
1: I know, I know. Uh, It's like
0: we're sneaking around behind their backs.
1: I know, I know. I hope they don't get mad at us. (laughs) They'll they'll never find out. (laughs) No, probably not. Nobody needs to know. (laughs) So anyway, we are
0: both music nerds, and we are here tonight to talk about dissonance.
1: Among many things, yes. Uh, so what dissonance. what exactly
0: is dissonance? We were talking about this a minute ago. It's it's not the easiest thing to come up with a definition for, actually.
1: Yeah, we were actually, you know, sort of uh, debating whether we should um, embark this definition as a uh, subjective concept or as a mathematical objective. You know.
0: Well, I think clearly it's both. I mean, in a nutshell, I think of dissonance as any time you have a clashing sound in music, right? Right. I mean that's basically it and people you know that might be an imprecise definition but I think people know what that means.
1: Yes but I I guess it you know there's there's so much to it right. Uh I think uh, and like we were talking earlier um a lot of it is contextual. Mm-hmm. Yeah and and our ears also get used to dissonances that eventually um become more welcome in our ears and right and therefore we now define them as consonant sounds you know
0: so sounds that several hundred years ago would have been considered extremely dissonant right.
1: today we accept as just you know normal sounds right right and, and and earlier you mentioned the uh the dominant seventh chord for example right uh which probably you know in the 1500s uh would have been extremely uh disturbing even. Right. Not the kind
0: of thing you could end a piece on. You would have to resolve that.
1: Right. And, 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 you know, and, and not to mention a major seventh chord, right? Sure. Uh, which wasn't really introduced as such until when, like maybe the, the very end of the 19th century, uh, early 20th century. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, you can hear the interval many times, but it, it was, it was never a, like a vertical, you know, Right, yeah. Sound, you know, and, and it was it was not fully intentional. It right. was just the consequence of the horizontal lines yeah, know, meeting just, to the to that happened, point, that and, and it perhaps it's just as a, like an appoggiatura, as a non harmonic tone that would later later uh, resolve. Right, but not a structural, component, not a structural of it. vertical. Uh, so,
0: for listeners who don't know, an interval in music is anytime you have more than one note sounding at the same time, right? And the, and it's distance, the, the between, distance
1: between those, right? Two that's sounds. the
0: interval. So, I mean, the classic dissonant interval, back in going back to medieval times, is called the tritone, right? You can call it an augmented fourth, a diminished fifth, but basically, it's six half steps or six semitones, and this was. Called the Devil's Interval, right? Mm-hmm. Diabolus in Musica. Diabolus in Musica, the devil, which is also the name of a Slayer album, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I do not know that. That's yeah. pretty cool. Anyway, but that's much later. But yeah, so this interval was considered dissonant and it was, you know, it was basically forbidden. You couldn't write this interval into your Gregorian chant or whatever medieval <laughs> piece you were writing, you know. You just didn't do it. It just didn't happen. Right.
1: And in fact, it was, you know, punishable by the the church.
0: Yeah. I mean, would, would they like burn you at the stake or something? I don't know I mean, if they
1: would burn you. Uh, they would probably throw you in jail if you published music with, you know, deliberate tritones in it.
0: Man, <laughs> it was so easy to break the rules. <laughs> then. <laughs> but then of course this dissonant interval, you know, if we fast forward a couple hundred years becomes the most important structural element in Western style musical harmony.
1: Right. And is, and is, you know, as, as, as uh, harmony evolved, if we look at the traditional scales, right and in, in, in maybe in this instance, the uh, major scale, it is just one of the seven you know steps in, in, it would happens naturally in the seventh note of the scale, right mm-hmm. if you build a triad on the, on the seventh note of the scale. Right. It just happens naturally, right? So you're talking about uh, B, D, F, these three Right, notes if we were in C piano. major, it would be B, D, F, then we right. would have the B and the F, you know, as that uh, diminished fifth. Right. Uh, That's and it just happens time. naturally in the scale, you know, and, and these are, I guess, natural dissonances right. within exactly. tonal music.
0: B to F, my my first music theory instructor called that the barf interval. The barf interval. B to F, right? And so that was the way to remember that that mm-hmm. one was the dissonant one. Right. I still remember that.
1: <laughs> yeah um but even then like if we again we if we go back to uh Gregorian chants and Gregorian modes these dissonances happen in in different uh, notes of the scale of the modes. um right but it's just some of them were avoided and when we fast forward now yeah. we don't really avoid any of this of the of the steps of the scale
0: right and so in music you know when music got into oh let's say the 17th century with baroque music, especially, you know, you need to have dissonance; otherwise, there's no resolution. You know, there's no tension and release. Exactly. There's no story. There's nothing exactly,
1: happening. Exactly, exactly. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because it's part of uh, creating a story, right? It's like writing a story. You need that 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 um, conflict.
0: Exactly. There's got to be and, conflict; otherwise, it's uninteresting.
1: Right. Exactly. You can't just you know stay in the in the tonic chord or in the one chord right the whole time. Right. Um, there's got to there's gotta be movement and there's got to be uh, that dissonance that uh, if you do it, you know, artfully builds up un- until you resolve it. And you can, you can build it up and, and resolve it in many different ways. Right. And uh, ultimately just uh, at the end, uh, res- do like the ultimate resolution to it coming back to, you know, the yeah. original, the, the tonic, right? Or the original tone that the piece started with.
0: Right, so when the dominant chord resolves to the tonic chord, the one chord, the tritone, that's the functional dissonant element in the dominant seventh chord, resolves in a particular way that all, you know, music students learn at some point in their music training, the resolution of the tritone, and it's like a textbook cadence that makes you feel like you've arrived at home right. at the end of a piece.
1: Because it, right, because it carries a lot of that dissonance, and if you resolve it, when you or when you resolve it, it resolves that conflict, right? That clash that we're talking about mm-hmm. is, you know, finally, it finally ceases, you know, and and, and we can breathe. It's like right. that. Exactly. <sighs> you know? And we're also
0: so well trained with that. I mean, whether you're a music specialist or not, you have been culturally trained to hear this, you know, in, yes. in music. Right. The, at the end of every Beethoven piece you've ever heard in your life, it goes, bet- you know, from the dominant to the
1: tonic chord. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, gosh in 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 most of the uh, music of the you know baroque and classical and even most of the um romantic period that you know dominant the tonic chord mm-hmm. at 5 to 1 resolution or cadence um is probably the the most uh, common and right. um even if you're not musically trained Unconsciously, you are used to listening to this resolution, Absolutely. and it even doesn't doesn't really matter what type of music, right. you know, you're you're you listen to or you prefer. This is happening all the time, even in non traditional, uh, or I guess more modern music. At some point, maybe it's not at the end. Maybe there's different ways to do it, but this concept of resolution of dissonance is happening constantly. It can be done in many different ways, but it's always about resolving the dissonance
0: resolving the dissonance Um, right and so historically over time we talked about the medieval period with gregorian chant going through you know the the various stages of musical evolution that's happened and basically we're talking about european music here in in this context yes um eventually there was kind of almost like a singularity i mean something happened and there was no turning back and sometimes this is referred to as the emancipation of the dissonance right Right around the year nineteen hundred, the turn of the century, right the turn of last century, right. um, it was like this musical revolution where all of a sudden anything goes, like all the rules are out the window, and this is in large part brought about by Arnold Schoenberg,
1: mm-hmm. um, among many others. I think uh, he's one of the of the main uh, composers that embraced dissonance in a non traditional way, yeah, and was brave enough in a way, to create a movement himself. It was like, because Schoenberg, uh, and and I think, like, who else can I, comes to mind? I think Debussy is one of those two that just yeah, completely definitely. destroys the 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 current or the traditional model of harmony.
0: Right, but they did it in such different ways, you know what I mean? They did it
1: in such different ways. and That's what you, you talked about, that it just went out the window. It was like a, yeah. a, a free fall. However, all of them, Knew the rules of traditional harmony. Oh yeah, perfectly. Right. So they could break it, right? Because when you have these rules, and you're trying to also create music, you're a composer. Certain rules will limit your your ideas and your uh, and the and the own concepts that you develop through your experience. And at some point, you say, "Wait, wait a second. Traditionally, this uh, should be done this way, but in my mind." What I'm trying to say doesn't work if I do it that way. Does that make sense? So maybe yeah. a more specific example would be: okay, traditionally, the the minor seventh resolves down, right? Mm-hmm. Traditionally, yeah. Uh, but a traditional voice leading the seventh, the, the voice that, right? leading exactly. Yeah. But if you take if you take um, Debussy's language, where he's more interested in color and right. and in the that uh, sound effect rather than, than, you know, voice leading. And you listen to a piece like, like the Sunken Cathedral, where you have a series Beautiful of piece. dominant seventh chords, you know, yeah. parallel seventh, dominant seventh chords. What happened there, you know? It's, uh, that, that's a magical piece. It's a magical piece, but at the time was a very controversial piece as well. And many of his works, especially his later works, kind of create this new way of writing music. When you achieve certain confidence in your expression, and your way of expression, you no longer care about all the rules that you learn. You care about the product that you, that you want right, to create. Right. The rules serve you instead of the other way around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just, and, and this happens, interesting that you say that, because this happens in performance as well. Not just composition, but in performance. You know, like all the rules, like technique, for example... Technique should be at the service of the music and not the other way around. Right, you learn right. technique to to have more tools for performance and not the other way around.
0: Right, but that's an advanced level, you know. That's at an, an advanced, advanced, an advanced level, but right.
1: that's what that's what we're talking about here with these composers, you know, yeah. someone like, like Schomburg who had crazy ideas about um, music and, and just especially structuring music in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see, for example... Um, Debussy can be in ways like structurally traditional. Schoenberg, well, the, the Schoenberg's earlier works are actually quite traditional.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it was called expressionism. I the expressionism, the right. right.
1: Yeah. Um, but then when when he gets into this experimental uh, phase, there's a different type of structure as his own structure becomes almost. Right. Uh, is almost like he created his own mathematics to build you know a system of of composition
0: i think with schoenberg he was basically pushing the limits right in his early music he was working within the tonal system but just trying to get as much emotional content This is why it's called expressionism mm-hmm. as he could and at a certain point that system just no longer sir it wasn't it wasn't enough for him right. to express his really intense feelings in his music you know so basically he it just shattered the whole system and he was forced to invent his own system for his own expressive needs
2: exactly
1: exactly and he's he's not a special case in this you know in this realm of of experimentation and breaking the rules but he's one of the first so I think that's why he's attributed to, you know, this um, radical change in, in, in thought. Right. Um, but if we, if we go forward, not, not a, even just a couple of decades, we run into very similar cases. You know, and, and one of the composers I, I'm, I'm thinking about now that, that had a similar evolution with a completely different language was Alexander Skriabin. And uh, But he started, again, very romantic even. He was a, he was a huge fan of Chopin. Oh, In fact, his earlier works sound a lot like Chopin. Hmm. Uh, but then you get into his you know, piano sonatas, and especially the later ones, and my God, things get weird. <laughs> <laughs> things get weird.
0: Okay, so let's listen to a couple of examples and compare them here. So what early Scriabin piece should we listen to? So
1: we should listen to um, the opus two etudes. There's three pieces, opus two. Okay. Specifically the third one. And I I think of this one because it sounds so much like Chopin. Uh, Very traditional, very tonal. All right, let's Um, give it a listen. Here we go.
0: Okay, wow, yeah, that sounded so, like, normal, so um, almost naive sounding. Right.
1: You know? And and clearly influenced by the music of Chopin. And yeah. not, not even as intricate as Chopin. If you listen to Chopin's uh, mazurkas, some of them have, you know, are very elaborate. This one is, you know, more simple, I guess. Yeah. It's almost like emulating his idol, right? Or, right,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's next? What are we going to compare it to? So
1: I, I think we should do like three different points of his life. Um, okay, cool. So this is one of the early works. Uh, we should listen to one of his early sonatas, maybe the fourth sonata. Okay. Uh, which is not so early, but it's Whoa. it's like it's part of the transition into the weirdness. Okay, so w- what is this again? The fourth sonata. Okay, so Scriabin Sonata. Scriabin Sonata number four. Okay, here we go.
0: Interesting. So what, am, what are we listening to there?
1: So I don't know if you um, notice the openness now of the harmonies and that um, how he embraces dissonance and extended chords as just his basic uh, chords, right? Or his basic harmony is already made of extended chords. So dissonances uh, that don't necessarily need to resolve. Right. These are uh, just part of of the harmonic structures as they are. Yeah. You know, it it almost sounds like jazz
0: chords I'm hearing.
1: Some of them, you know, can certainly be uh, turned into jazz now if we change the the context of it for sure.
0: So was this, when was this written?
1: Was it during the same time as jazz was being written? Well, this is, I guess, in the early 1900s. Okay, so the so, beginnings of jazz. Beginnings of jazz, rag times, all these uh, new uh, genres almost uh, right. being born.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, it almost reminded me a little bit of Debussy
1: there, because there's this. There is a lot of color, absolutely. it's it, Now it's all about color, right? It's not right, so yeah. much about this vertical harmony, right. but it's about the horizontal lines and what colors these sounds create. And actually, Scrabbin was one of the uh, better-known... Uh, composers with, with um, what is it called? With actual oh, I think um, you're synesthesia. Synesthesia. Thank you. Yeah, where he would so, see colors associated with music. Yes, sounds. yes, and it's very interesting to actually see how he himself represented each key with a color. Oh wow! So there's there's charts and everything that, that wow. you can look up with how uh, with all the colors that he that he uh, represents uh, sounds with. Interesting. Uh, I mean, and there's a lot of exploration of you know him, you know, going on the retreats and you know, sort of getting lost in nature and just becoming very philosophical and
0: right, almost mystical, almost sounds, mystical,
1: right? right? And he actually, well, he invented the mystical chord, right? the mystical chord. I've the heard of that. Can, you, can you remind me what that is? Well, the first interval is a tritone. Okay, right? our old friend, the devil. The the the, <laughs> the devil, exactly. And then we have the diminished fourth. And then another diminished fourth. Okay. I mean, so anyway, are, if if you're yeah. really
0: interested, you can look this up. You can. Just, look, yeah.
1: We're on Wikipedia right now, just looking at the mystic chord. Yeah. Chords. So this is um, a chord that you can, or this this color, this harmony, you can see it um, all throughout his uh, later works. Um, okay. So
0: it's it became his thing.
1: This was his thing. His thing. And this was just the beginning. <laughs> all right. Now we're gonna listen to. Perhaps his eighth or ninth sonata, or his tenth sonata, maybe, his last one. Uh, Okay, tenth sonata? Or let's listen to the the Black Mass sonata. The Black Mass sonata. Black Mass sonata.
0: Okay, Alexander Skruavan excerpt here from the Black Mass sonata. just went to outer space with that stuff yeah that's so what's going on there i mean is are we hearing the mystic chord again because it's it sounds like just completely free and like i mean are we improvising here what's going on
1: uh i i think there's you know a lot of now uh not just the mystic chord but that mystic feel to it altogether. you know like that uh feeling of of i guess floating in nothingness where mm-hmm. we don't have real defined structures. Right? And
0: yet we were looking at the score for this as we were listening to it and the score looked very precise.
1: It is very precise and 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 in fact he meant every single note that he wrote. There it's there for a reason and and is not just, you know, the product of chance, but he he clearly um wrote this with purpose and also you can you can see all the awkward rhythmic values that make it sound like like it's being improvised and it makes it sound like it's just off but it's not
0: yeah sometimes you'll do this thing i noticed where the high notes are sort of beautiful and shimmery and then i will hit like a low note that just recontextualizes what you just heard and gives you that kind of dissonant kind of like foundation that makes you kind of question everything you just thought was sort of nice and beautiful. Right, sounding. right. And, and, kind of and
1: if, if you get deeper into the analysis, you can actually start noticing all these like different voices that he's bringing, you know, bringing up again or repeating, but with, with uh, different layers or in different sections, hmm. uh, which make it sometimes almost imperceptible until you hear it like ten times, right. you're like, "Wait a second! This is the same theme that he used here, but now he has these other three mel- melodies going on here, or there, there's these other four layers going on here. But that theme was the first one, right? Or that theme already appeared, um, but now is either reharmonized or or um, or appears with you know maybe other themes as well simultaneously. Wow. So it gets complex. Yeah,
0: I bet. I mean, it sounds um, like it.
1: So, yeah, at first, um it might not be very friendly to the common ear. But when you learn more about this music, you learn more about Scriabin, it actually becomes fascinating.
0: Yeah, that, that's the way it is with a lot of things. The more you understand, the more it draws you in. You know? Right, because now you're just,
1: listening for something, right? Yeah, instead
0: of just on the outside sort of peering in the window, you're actually inside experiencing exactly. it.
1: Exactly. You know? Yeah, um, wow
0: skryabin cool. Scriabin,
1: yeah he's he's quite a deep well
0: yeah and so uh, you know obviously after this the kind of the lid gets blown wide open with uh, all these crazy composers harry parch john cage charles ives and then right. even like
1: oliver Messiaen, you know Messian, like yeah uh it's
0: uh it's like once people realized oh shoot we can do whatever we want. Like once Schoenberg sort of let the cat out of the bag.
1: Exactly. 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 And and it's interesting also to see how a lot of the composers tend to go back to original forms, sort of like how the neoclassical movement started. Like go back to the original classical forms, except now with all the and you know nuances of the modern world. Right. Uh, and you know, sort of like uh, Shostakovich or Prokofiev, and how they write their music. Um, you know, it's so traditional in a lot of senses, but then so new in in other ways. So, right. right. Um, that's a very interesting, um, a very interesting uh, evolution of this of this particular style. Right. And then there's there's you know other composers and I and I mentioned like Oliver Messiaen um that in many ways completely disregards harmony you know and the concept of harmony he doesn't see it as a like a, as a vertical structure at all but he sees it just as a product of um the color of the sounds mm-hmm. right so he completely disregards any sort of label for simultaneous sounds.
0: Wow, interesting.
1: It's very interesting. Um, well and Messian was
0: the composer that got really into using bird song, right
1: right, right so there's also we get into you know the 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 resemblance of the modern world, and I believe we had a little bit of this talk uh, right. in in the previous uh, episode of the right of the show when you where, were the guest on the show with Carlos right and right and and we talked about specifically i remember we talked about gershwin oh right yeah, right yeah. we talked about gershwin yeah um Inner so city sounds exactly and and in this case uh you can hear um uh, messians um you know wanting to emulate the, some sounds of nature specifically you know birds
0: right and i mean it turns out bird song
1: can be rather dissonant I mean, it can be rather, doesn't it? But it can also be uh, quite melodic. Yeah. It can be quite melodic. And this is actually a language, right? Sure. Yeah. It is a, you know, it's been scientifically proven that it's an actual language. There's a communication tool between these animals. And some of the intervals actually mean or communicate a message. Um, It's fascinating. And I think, you know, uh, Messiaen was up to something here. And another interesting thing about him is the, I guess, lack of rhythmic structure. A lot of the music that he wrote has no time signature.
0: Right. Well, you know, maybe we should listen to an example. Um, I'm thinking of the quartet for the end of time. Ooh, beautiful.
1: The series of sounds that he that he chooses are or seem uh, random. Yeah, I yeah. didn't hear a lot of
0: resolution in that, you know. It may be not the most dissonant thing, you know, people have heard, but there's no resolution. There's not even a tip of the hat to traditional structures of
1: like dominant tonic. It's just exactly. like, it exists. It's completely free of that. It's exactly and, and you can say it's well it's basically an atonal piece. Right, uh, because if you hear resolutions, is because you choose to hear resolutions more more than their <laughs> actual, see. you know, resolutions. It's not like sometimes in Mozart we can hear like that appoggiatura towards an end of a phrase to then that then resolves. You know, right? We really don't hear that here. We hear it almost like as as we please, like whatever interval you want to hold on to, you can. It becomes just relative to the previous sound. Yeah. Uh,
0: so it's a Rorschach test,
1: exactly. Interesting. Um, so,
0: yeah, wow.
1: And then, yeah, adding that layer of rhythmic complexity of it where there's no time signature, there's only no values. Uh, so, there's no downbeat, there's no upbeats, there's no, uh, you know, high part of the phrase, there's no, no resolution, like a rhythmic resolution either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. it's a different, completely different language here.
0: Yeah. Wow. And so, this, this music we've been listening to, the Scriabin, the Messian, at this point, it's twenty eighteen right now. This was all written a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, this is considered modern music, right? But the modern era has come and gone, musically speaking. We're not in the modern era anymore. Oh no, and even you know even
1: I mean? even the the, you know, the time difference between Messian and and Scriabin, it's quite a bit. Right so this piece was written in the early 1940s right the Messian. Uh yeah yeah actually yeah during the the World War World War 2 because right. Messian was a prisoner of war. Right he, I think he wrote this in a prisoner camp. Yeah could because uh the Nazis you know took over right. Paris. Yeah and uh, well this I think this the clarification there we should make the clarification that he was not in a concentration camp. Right. He was a prisoner of war. Prisoner yeah, so, of war,
0: right? It wasn't an extermination camp. It was not an extermination right, yeah.
1: camp. It was not. Um, but still, he was just basically <laughs> under the, you know, he was in he was in jail in prison. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, man. So I guess from his point of view, you know, maybe the world was coming to an end. I mean, his country had been taken over by the enemy. I mean, his whole world was, you know, up in chaos. Right. Right. So right. this music that has no. Foundation, no structure, almost is like a perfect, you know, representation of his world at the time. Of his world, yeah. It's like an authentic expression of what he was going through as as a human being at the time. Absolutely. So let me let me ask you, Lonzo, what 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 is the future of dissonance? I mean, at this point, dissonance is everywhere, but we still have music that sounds. I mean, we still hear perfect, authentic cadences. If you listen to a Taylor Swift song. You know, right. a lot of times there's a 5-1 cadence, and so it's not like we've completely abandoned this idea as a culture.
1: Right, and, and I think, in fact, when we're talking about mainstream music, right, and commercial mainstream music, it has actually simplified quite a bit, yeah? So the music of the masses, right, now is actually really simple mm-hmm. compared to, you know, all the mu- the trajectory of music um throughout history perhaps uh, yeah
0: perhaps although you know the, there's
1: so much music everywhere these days it's you know. right but, but I'm talking about the that the mainstream music right yeah. uh, when we're because especially in the nineteenth century the you know it branched out, the styles branched out so much that um I guess one of these branches was just the simplified music it's just i guess easier easier to follow it's easier to play it's easier to sing to right right easier to dance I mean, to It's e- easier to dance to like uh i mean can you imagine can you imagine a Beatles song uh with the same concept as you know mission uh it's just it just well, doesn't work right you know, next <laughs>
0: time we have a dance party let's put on quartet for the end of time <laughs> right see what happens. And watch the dance floor just like clear out yeah immediately. exactly <laughs> exactly right um yeah one place where dissonance can really take center stage actually is in film music. Like if you're if you're watching a movie and there's a suspenseful scene going on, or maybe oh, a absolutely. horror movie, I mean there is some serious dissonance. My hair is like standing up on my right. arms right now just thinking about it. And so that's perfect because it's part of the story. It's part of the tension, you know, like we we're talking right, about. Right, but now
1: now you have now you have a um an additional stimulus, right? Right. Uh, in this case, it's you know visual. The visual stimulus that you're getting, you're associating it now with the music and with the situation. It's contextual as well. Right. Um, And
0: actually, some great, you know, classical composers have been film composers. I'm thinking about Stravinsky, right? Stravinsky, yeah, absolutely. a film composer. I mean, he he lived in Hollywood for a while, right? Uh Right. So, yeah, it's not like film music is totally separate from classical music. So we've been talking a lot about the evolution of music over the last, you know, four or 500 years and particularly the, the role of dissonance as dissonance becomes more prominent and more accepted. Um, but it seems like after like the 1920s, 1930s, maybe up to the forties, it seems like that direction of dissonance getting more and more prominent, maybe hit a wall and started to slow down a little bit because, after that, it sort of seems like, you know, the decades kind of go up and down with how much dissonance you hear in music. And obviously it can't go on forever because there's only so much dissonance that's, you know, possible, really.
1: You think so? I mean, maybe there's a limit. I, I still don't think that we're even close to reaching a limit of dissonance.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: Interesting. And, and especially because of technology. Oh, okay. Right. And And when we think about all these new sounds that are being created things that we've never heard before and you can see this you know throughout history i think also in the previous episode we discussed you know how the world around these composers in the early 1800s or the late 1700s was so different with the invention of of the locomotive right or the Right. The train yeah. and the you mentioned train before that Beethoven never heard the Beethoven, sound. Beethoven, right? Because the 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 train was invented in the very early 1800s. Beethoven started going deaf, I believe, in 1797, okay, 98, right. around there, right? The the environment experienced a change in sound because of this new invention, right? right? Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. But I mean, today I can li- One of my favorite musicians is a jazz guitarist named Nels Klein, and he gets so dissonant, it's, I mean, some people would just describe it as noise. I mean,. Many people would listen to some of Mel's Fine's music and say, that's not music. That's just noise.
1: Right. But you can say that, you know, also for, for uh, Schomberg's music and for even more modern, like some someone like Pierre Boulez, right? Sure. That's, that's just, it just sounds like noise, like you said, right? But yeah. maybe if you dig in a little bit more and you start noticing the patterns and their thought process when they were building this, um, then maybe you can find something. Now, Here's where the where the line also gets blurry. Like now, what is music?
0: Right, right, right.
1: What is music? Um, That's a great question. Right. Um, you and, want to, you want to take a stab at that? What is music? What is music? Well, for for me, there's there's got to be for the, a, a clear distinction between music and noise. Uh, and maybe the distinction is intent. Maybe it's intent. If I make noise right? and
0: I intend it to be music, does that make it music?
1: does it right that that's that's a really good question it can get like very philosophical here yeah but um as humans we are you know pattern recognition machines sure yeah and i guess for it to be recognizable and uh, somewhat objective we need some sort of organization of this sound okay. right of this noise so organized sound organized sound exactly or organized noise right so i think organized noise plus intent, right? Or plus meaning. It sounds like you could be describing language. It is very much like language. So, now, can I invent mm-hmm. my own language? Sure, right? Yeah. And I can invent a language that only I speak. But is it useful? Is it practical? Um, unless I teach it to everyone. And I le- unless okay. I, it becomes of use, I think. And okay. it becomes so you, an, a tool for for expression. Um, so, wait, are you saying that the goal of music is communication? I guess expression, right? expression. Expression. Okay. Right. Expression. Um, and ultimately, if you want to express yourself, like you mentioned earlier, is there's got to be some sort of desire to communicate, right? right? Otherwise, is it? I mean, the intent comes in. Like, is it for me, or is it to communicate with others?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and there's different ways of... Sometimes communication can be very aggressive. Like, if I if I punch you in the nose, that's mm-hmm. a type of communication, right? Right. I mean, kind of. And
1: then what kind of message are you trying to... <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, if I'm...
0: You know, if, I'm, if I am have an electric guitar and I lean... I crank it up to 10 and I lean the guitar against the amplifier and it just starts feeding back. Mm-hmm. And then I go sit down and let it do that for 15 minutes on stage. I mean, is that right. music? I would say, yes, it is because there's an intent. I mean... But I mean, but what are you? The, comi- what are I mean? Maybe then, the intent is just a, a big middle finger to the audience, or maybe. And this whoever, is what you know. Still, this you is know. what
1: happens also with with modern art, right? It's like well, sure, yeah. anything can be art, right? Mm-hmm. Anything, literally anything. So I, I tend to be a little bit more more conservative, you know, when it comes to art and and in this case, music. Like there for me, it, there's gotta be a more, you know, practical. Uh, intent and a more practical use of it. If you want it to be music, uh, it should be structured in a recognizable way. Um, and of course, it starts with the rhythm. Right? Uh, starts with uh, organizing this sound. Okay. Right. Uh, at least in time. in 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 terms of of note values assigned note values assigned duration for these notes um but yeah i mean the 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 line can i can get blurry without a doubt uh right. if we're listening to Messiaen earlier i mean it's almost like the rhythm is very clear but the tradition a traditional time signature is not it just this doesn't exist right right so this is already pushing the boundaries right
0: Right. Yeah. Um, definitely. And these are really interesting questions, and I'm sure we're not going to resolve them all.
1: I don't think there is a there is a definite you know right answer to this. Um,
0: you yeah, know, well, I think it's got to have something to do with the intent of the composer. Like, if 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 I intend something to be music, then it's music. But I'm I'm
1: going to go with that. What about without intent and people still perceive it as music? Because this happens a lot with art, right? Well, that is true. Yeah, where people just grab a bucket of paint and just throw it on the canvas and right. whatever happens is art right and right. so i mean i guess what does it mean what does it mean to have all these like random lines and dots
0: well maybe the fact that you're asking what it means is the intent you know just the question sometimes right be but so, need. but
1: but maybe that's not his how do we know if that was his intent or not
0: well does it doesn't matter like if I'm getting something out of a piece of art, doesn't matter what. Right. The so
1: now we lost. <laughs> now we lost any kind of of parameter to and we define. We lost the
0: importance of the artist's intent. Right. But and, and any parameter with. to define
1: it. Right. It's right. like anything. Like spoken word is music. Noise is music. Closing a door is music.
0: Right. Or what about your heartbeat? Which your is heartbeat is not intentional. Can be,
1: right. Or, um, or just you know basically anything. Anything. I believe that it is important. In in any case to define it, I guess in a demonstrable way, but Uh, we still haven't come up with a definition. Well, (laughs) for for me, I guess the closest you know, I'm not, I'm not, I I could never even dare to claim this definition to be absolute. But there's got to be organized sound with intent.
0: Organized sound with intent,
1: right? I can get behind that, right? And it's still not, I guess, maybe not specific enough, or maybe not. Not narrowed down enough, but
0: right. Well, I mean, maybe that's the best we're gonna do this evening. I guess,
1: <laughs> and that's gonna be a, a question for right for us to ponder for, I guess, ever.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we should do this more often. Absolutely. Music nerd podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're still listening, thanks for tuning in to The Authenticity Show Music Nerd Edition
1: alright see you guys next time
0: you've been listening to The Authenticity Show your hosts tonight were Oliver Alteen and Lonzo Lucone the show is produced by Oliver Alteen. that's me our theme music is composed by Oliver Alteen. again that's me Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio, wherever, you know. uh, And check out our website, it's AuthenticityShow.com. Thank you for listening, and have an authentic day.